Hi. Great. So today, as part of our Upside podcast series, which is powered by Sports Tech Advisors, we have the honor to interview again Dr. Ron Dick, Associate Professor of Sports Marketing at Duke University in the School of Business. So as a reminder, Ron has worked for 20 years in sports, including 15 years in the NBA, with the Sixers and the Nets, and then four years in the NCAA. So, Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jillian. Happy to be here with you again today. Great. So, Ron, you know, what I wanted to do today is talk about, you know, the sports industry with many, many leagues uh, coming back again, like the uh, NBA, the MLS, the NHL, and then talk about uh, college sports, and then talk, talk about uh, the virus, and then social justice. How does it sound? Sounds great. Right. So, so Ron, so, you know, since we last spoke, you know, some additional leagues, uh, such as the NBA, the MLS, the NHL resumed their seasons, right? So do you think that those leagues have handled it the right way, in your opinion? I, I think some have and some have not. Uh, if you go back and listen to some of our quotes from the last broadcast, yeah. we talked about, we, we were concerned about the MLB and the fact that they were not in a bubble. And uh, I think that came back to bite them a little bit. Uh, we saw the Mar- Miami Marlins. We saw the St. Louis Cardinals have some issues where, you know, blocks and blocks of games had to be canceled. So here they are trying to play 60 games, but, you know, there, there, there was like days, weeks, a week go by without playing a game. Well, I don't know how you're going to get 60 games in. Now they're yeah. going to try to do do- seven inning double headers to, uh, expedite that and it remains to be seen if they can pull that off. Uh, the, the rumor was, uh, I think it was kind of turned into fact, that the Miami Marlins baseball team, uh, a group of the players, went out to a a restaurant slash bar in Atlanta when they were on yeah. the road, and yeah. some of them got the virus that way. Wow! And then that affected uh, all sorts of teams that had uh, had them on their their uh, schedule. So that shows you how strong the MLB player union is. Uh, when they were able to stifle the fact that they weren't going to play in a bubble the way the NHL and the NBA. That's are. very true. Yeah. Yeah. So that, was, um, that was one situation. I would give kudos to the NHL. The NHL uh, is playing in just two places, both north of the border, where the virus allegedly is not as prevalent, and uh, that is in Toronto and in, in uh, Calgary. And they have not had any problems. And the testing is strong. Uh, it's it's almost daily. And uh, yeah, I heard they were doing like two thousand tests or something. I mean, it was just yeah. a big number, right? Yeah. So I would say that that they've done well. I'd say the NBA's done well as far as their bubble in Orlando. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they're down to sixteen teams now. Uh, yeah. I think they. Originally started with 22. If you weren't mathematically eliminated, you pretty much uh, could come down and play and try to get one of those 16 spots. And, and, uh, I mean, they are really isolated and yeah. they all eat, they all eat together in a cafeteria. Uh, and it, it, it's working as far as getting these games in and people be able, being able to watch them. Have you watched some of the NBA games? I have not. And I, I normally do, um, but I I, look, I'm, I'm guilty the same way. I haven't had much of a chance. Like to me, not having the fans in the stadium—that's that's a major difference. Um, yeah, it looks like a summer league game, doesn't it? It, lo- it looks like one much, of Vegas yes. sum- summer league games where they used to play in Vegas. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's very true. Uh, and then the MLS, right? The MLS finished the MLS Cup. Um, mm-hmm. 
Of course, I think they got two MLS teams they had to pull out. Uh, they had some really, you know, NBA MLS star players who, who pulled out as well because they were concerned. Villa, one of the star players for the, um, the LAFC, said, look, I, I got to go back to my family. I'm not comfortable doing this. Um, but I think for the most part, it was a success, I would think. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And um, we saw some MLB guys step out of it, too. Uh, you yeah. Know, you know, Cespedes started it, a uh, uh, highly paid uh, left fielder for the Mets, and then he bailed. Uh, Kane, a highly paid player for the uh, outfielder for the Brewers, he bailed on it. And, yeah. and so did the catcher for the Giants. He decided not to even try it. And, and you have to respect their wishes. Uh, but at the same time, it seems like the younger guys that are trying to uh, make a name for themselves and get through their, their years of service to get the free agency, that are the kind of lower paid, uh, they, they, they're willing to do it. And maybe they're single, you know, they don't have children. Maybe for them, it's not as big a deal. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I was just talking to um, an executive from the, the Dodgers uh, in the minor league baseball, minor league uh, baseball league. And I asked him, I said, when do you, are you guys going to come back and get together with your training staff? And he said, I don't know, maybe in the fall, but right now, they're hoping that they'll get together in the fall, but yes, yes, it hopes about that. So, right. Um, and as we said earlier, the most important thing for the owners is to get, burn through these sixty games. You know, yeah, everybody stay as healthy as they can, and then get to some sort of formatted playoffs because that's where they really make their money is in the playoffs. <clears throat> yeah, and, very true. And uh, yeah, that's that's good point. So, I know you're in the you know UH College. I mean. So college sports is, is dear to your heart. And, you know, the Big Ten and Pac-12 have now postponed, right, their fall sports seasons. Yes. And that could have a serious implication also for the sports betting industry. In fact, I was reading that, you know, according to gambling.com, the vice president of U.S. business, Max Bischel, said that at least $1 billion in bets could be lost without college sports, uh, college football across the top four legalized markets. So, you know, what kind of impact do you think COVID-19 will have on, on U.S. college sports, not just in terms of sports betting, but also just in general, right? I think it's going to have a major impact, but we have to do a little bit deeper dive about some of these decisions that are being made. Yeah. Notre Dame, we talked about them. Uh, they were the first ones, to my knowledge, to go back on campus with their students. They moved everything up to move-in date August 8th. And they tried to get ahead of the virus a little bit and then end by Thanksgiving. That, that was the way a lot of people wanted to do it. Yeah. And what we, what we found was uh, students came back. They, they blew through all the warning signs, uh, disregarded them all, and they ended up uh, spreading it. Uh, 135 people tested positive within, within a week. And then they shut it down and they made it face-to-face. Now, is it face, classrooms are going to be face to face as opposed to, uh, hyper flex, you know, some A to L last name kids come on Tuesday, M to Z come on Thursday. Yeah. The day you're not in the classroom because we're trying to get the numbers down right in the classroom. Yeah. We put it up on, uh, Zoom and the, and you watch from your dorm room or you watch from your off, off campus apartment or you watch from home with your parents. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and now it's like they want them to check out of the resident life office. Now that 
That's revenue that's lost by the university. Uh, it seems like the cafeteria situation is all going to be takeout. And Meaning what do you mean? Like they're not going to be able to go, to go to the cafeteria, you mean? They go to the caf, they pick it up, and they leave. Oh, okay. They go outside and eat it. They go back to their dorm room and eat it. They, they, that way, that way we, we don't have, you know, 300, 400 people all together, well within much less than six feet apart. So on, on so, that note, on that note, it's, uh, uh, you know, I was talking to a startup that has an online nutrition platform. Uh, the mm-hmm. guy who was the founder used to work for the Patriots, the New England Patriots. And yeah, sure. he did, he did say that, uh, and they have about half of the NFL team using their platform, nutrition platform. And right. uh, what he said is that the players typically, they used to go and take their meal at the facility, but now, you know, they can't do that anymore. Um, so because of the situation, right? So I right. think, yeah, absolutely. you know, the teams are adjusting the same way that colleges are adjusting with those types of situation, right? Cafeteria and so on. Yes. We still, uh, Pitt uh, here in uh, University of Pittsburgh just uh, decided to go on online for like two weeks and then they'll reevaluate. Yeah. Uh, we're still, we're still doing face to face. And some of the other local schools are still face to face. The, there was a thing, something came from the NCAA and a virus like this, it makes us all question everything. I, yeah. I, I, it makes it time to take evaluations and say, is something really worth it? And one of those things is uh, online. If it's online, is it worth the same amount of money tuition wise as face to face? It's funny you and, mentioned that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot, a lot of, you know, so, as a person that's done a lot of open houses, I can tell you that as we recruit, you know, non-student athletes, let's just talk about, you know, the idea of going to college for a second before we jump into the college sports thing. The, you have the mom and you have the dad usually, and you have the, the, the young son or daughter. Yeah. It seems like the mom is always concerned about safety. Yeah. And that certainly is something recently having a daughter, I'd feel the same way. Mm-hmm. The dad is is concerned about return on investment. You know, this is very expensive. You know, will, will we, we've been saving for this in our 529 for a long time. We've been saving for this. Yeah. And then the kid, the kid is kind of like, you know, how are the parties? Is it fun? Yeah. You know, their, their mindset is totally different. Mm-hmm. And this mech makes us question, you know, the cost. It really does across the country. And, yeah. and it's, it, concerning to a lot of universities and, you know, maybe this was a, a long time coming. And then from an NCA standpoint, w- you've heard people in, especially in the big five conferences say, do we really need the NCAA? And I think the NCA is just a bunch of guys primarily that are sitting in Indianapolis, Indiana, telling us about all the rules we must follow. Mm-hmm. You have to be a rule follower because yeah. if you don't have us, you know, policing this, it's going to be chaos. Well, I think a lot of the, as you mentioned, the Big Tens, the Pac-12s, the SECs, they're, they're wondering, do we really need them? Like, what actually do they do for all the money that we pay them? Yeah. And what might come out of this is the, the elimination of the NCAA. And so are, you, are you saying they're going to reduce the tuitions and everything or no? Or the rules? I, 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 I think the free market will speak. Uh, I, I think that if we don't uh, cut some of the overhead – that we have. I mean, we're all trying to be leaner. Uh, people are, uh, universities are doing away with matching, you know, matching in your 401k. 
yeah. at a whole bunch mm-hmm. of universities, and 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 that's that's millions of dollars of savings. Uh, that that's uh, the way we're going to go. You're, you're, why you're can I tell you something? This is this must have students in, in in your programs, or like why do we have your program? Well, on on a personal note, right? I've, I've got my kids in private schools, and uh, when COVID nineteen hit, you know, uh, we were we were talking to the school, and we're like, why are we paying full tuition when everything is online? Exactly. Right? No, exactly. That's my point. Exactly. Everybody's questioning everything, and and you know, it probably is about time. But then, but then, from a school perspective, they're going to lose a lot of money, right? If you reduce the tuitions, because the the the, the teachers might be impacted, right? Uh, the teachers, of- you know, and and you know, I always want to be clear. Like I was raised by a superintendent of a high school, so I always uh-huh. always told as a child that administration was great and the teachers were kind of shaky. And now I'm a professor, so yeah, uh, we I think we you know a lot of universities have fat in the area of administration. And layers and layers of vice presidents and directors, and I'm not sure what they all do. You know. At oh, all. I see what you mean. So they might Especially cut some positions. These, I think so. As some of these really large state institutions, for sure. And you know, I, I what do they that. do? Just have meetings with each other and pass paper around? Like, what, what actually are they doing with all these vice presidents? And, well, and, so I would say this, right? I'm 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 European. I come from France. Education in France is pretty much. I'm pretty much free. If you go to a top business school in France, it's going to cost you fifteen, twenty thousand a year. That's it, right? So, and you get the same education, more or less, because in some of those top business schools, you have you know American students who come to the to France and they get the same level of education, they get the same credits, right? So, my point is, well, I was right. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I always thought that from my perspective, like when I came to the U.S. and I saw how much tuition you got to pay. For everything, I'm like, this is a business, right? This is, this is just, you know, I've got friends who had to go back to France because they cannot afford to pay for, you know, 100,000 a year for their kids to go to college. So, you know, this Boston, is Boston, Boston College outside of Boston, Massachusetts is $75,000 a year. Like, so let, let's in this country, what happens is, Okay, my kid is in, you know, the top half of his class or her class. Like yeah. in the top 50%. They're not the valedictorian. They're not the salutatorian. The mom or dad probably are too successful, meaning they probably, their income is too high. So we don't qualify for financial aid. That's very true, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my kid's the average kid to above average kid that I love, right? Yeah. And I'm going to get very little discount from the university. I'm getting no financial aid. My kid wants to go to Boston College. I'm going to drop, let me just get this clear in my head. I'm going to drop $300,000 in four years. And from the day they're born, we're told saving your 529, it's it's a form of of an IRA. It's a form of a way of sheltering money. so you can save for a rainy day. And then when the kid graduates high school, we go, it's raining. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it, it's it's something that's kind of ingrained in the society that, and then the competition with the parents and you know the kid down the street you know he yep. got in, she got into this school and my kid didn't get in was it because the SAT scores were were too low and my class rank was too low or what yeah and and the constant comparisons is is really exhausting for the everybody involved 
and it just doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah. So yeah, people are questioning that. Um, well, I mean, that's, that's what a pandemic it, does, right? The pandemic. I, I think so. It, right. It causes everybody to pause and say, yeah. "What are we doing?" So I think the NCA league office, home office, is really in question right now. And then the other thing that was said a long time ago by the NCA, you know, when I say a long time ago, I mean back in like March, April, May, they said if once we get through the school year, if we can't allow the students, you know, the non-student athletes to be on campus and go face to face, then we can't have any college sports. Mm-hmm. And immediately some of the, the SEC, some of the other question, other, other universities said, uh, wait a minute, that's not your place to say that. So then the NCA backed off because they were afraid, they were afraid that they would be you know, pushed off to the side and they would reverse the decision anyways and the SEC would play. And then here we are seeing schools close down away from face to face and the SEC and some of the other conferences want to play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's very true. So, you know, going back to the, in terms of financial impact due to COVID-19, I just want to share some, some estimates with you, but the cost of COVID-19 has affected the brand value of multiple I should say soccer clubs, right? With the top 50 teams losing a total of 884 millions in value, according to some estimates. It's also estimated that in the NHL, uh, the, the NHL has, has brought in $3.9 billion in revenue so far this season, compared to more than $5 billion last season. And then the MLS commissioner also said that he's expecting to report a loss of at least $1 billion due to COVID-19. Are you surprised by those estimates? And obviously now they're recuperating some of the TV rights, right? You have said the loss in ticket sales, right? Yes. Yeah, the ticket sales is gone. In, in most sports, uh, except for the NHL, I would say that the NHL is a much higher percentage because their, their TV ratings are much lower than yeah. the other three major sports. I would say that a sport like the MLS – 20, 25% of their revenue comes from the ticket sales. I mean, think about it. You've got 20, 30, 40,000 people watching the game live. You've got hopefully millions watching on television. Yeah. And yeah. The sponsorship money from that is, and, and the commercial money is fabulous. So mm-hmm. that's, that's something that was factored into the decision to play or not play. So for example, back and forth with MLB, how much are we going to pay the players? And, the, and it was like, well, we're going to prorate your contract. So 162 games for a baseball season, we're only playing 60. So, you know, take 162 and divide it to 60. So you're, you're going to make, you're not going to make half your salary. You're going to make around 40%, a little less than 40%. And then they said, well, we have to chip down a little further because we don't have the TV, we don't have the ticket revenue. So we're going to knock it down to 80%. So you're going to get 80% of your salary for the percentage of 60 divided by 162. And that's where the sticking points were going back and forth, and that's why it was so hostile between the players' union of MLB and the owners. Can I ask you a question? Uh, I was talking to one of the biggest soccer team in Europe, and actually in the world. They did mention to me that 80% of their budget, 80% of their budget was uh, for the the player's salary. So 20% of it, remaining was for the, you know, operation and stuff, right? 
Is that, that sounds about right, but but I I could I can't see an environment where they would have paid them a hundred percent of their salary if we don't have anybody in the stands and if we don't play all the games. Well, I tell you what, what they also told me, and I'm not going to say what that is, is that because of some of the players, world class players, I'm not going to say who they are, but that was becoming very difficult for them financially, and you know even to try to sell those guys where nobody's going to pay that price tag, a price tag, right? So. They're, they're left with to, to have to play some players a ridiculous amount of like, salary, but they can't really let them go because they don't want to lose money either. And nobody wants to buy them, right? Well, you know, it's like any other economic situation, supply and demand. Like I know over there they can sell players and they can move them a little quicker. But, yeah. you know, even the players that are making, you know, Mike Trout making approximately $30 million a year when it's yeah. 162 games – you know, his wife just had a baby. Like, he was considering sitting out. He chose to play. And, yeah. and obviously, one of the best players in the league, for sure. He's playing very well. Yeah. But he's only getting 60 divided by 162 and then times 80%. Now, now I, I don't feel sorry for him. That's probably right. around, that's probably around roughly, you know, 10 to $12 million. Yeah. But, but he's normally getting 30. So, now, and you could take that a minimum salary in the MLB is probably around a little less than six hundred thousand. So you can see where that that's a significant difference too. Yeah. Um, now the the other big news of the month was social social justice, right? It continues yes. to be a major topic. Uh, you know, we've seen many players and coaches in the NBA, the MLS, the NHL taking a knee, right, to bring their support to the Black Matters movement. Yes. What are your what are your thoughts on that? And especially when you've got a president of the United States saying, "If I see any NFL players taking a knee, I don't even want to watch it." Right. So yeah, uh, the NFL. Since you brought it up, there's there's been an idea floated around to avoid this issue, not to play the national anthem before an NFL game. Huh, I mean, it's okay. not it's not something that they have to do by contract. Yeah, uh, that would probably avoid avoid the issue. But if we go back and listen to the tape from a month ago, I think you'll find that either you or I or both said the, expect around seventy percent of the players to take a knee. Yeah, and that doesn't sit well with a lot of the owners, and it doesn't sit well with some of the fans. But why do you think uh, it doesn't sit well with the owners? Well, Jerry Jones has been very outspoken about that uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I don't know. They're old school. They're, yeah, I, I guess. I, I, I'm I'm not sure. I, 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 again, I don't want to repeat what we said earlier, but I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, previously Lou Alcindor, made a great mm-hmm. point. And he was a real activist when he was a young man in the '60s. He said, "Colin Kaepernick, you know, these 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 riots are wrong. These protests are wrong." Okay, well, there's an example of a guy that did it quietly. And he was ostracized by the NFL. He was yeah. blackballed by the NFL. All he did was take a knee during the national anthem. And yeah. I, I mean, he was clear to say, my dad was in the military. I am pro military. I appreciate uh, everyone that's fought for this country, but no one listened to that part of it. Yeah. You know, they only saw the knee. Uh, uh, television ratings are really down in the NBA. And the NBA has really made it clear that they are supportive of the Black Lives Matter. Right. And yeah. There are uh, there are Republicans 
that think it's correlated to such the big movement with the shirts and 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 taking a knee and and, and that that matter. I, I I don't I'm not sure that that is the issue why TV ratings are down, um, but some people say they they feel that that's the reason. I I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. I, I am too. And and MLB has been very clear that they are behind Black Lives Matter. You've seen it on the back of the pitching mound. Uh, yeah. You've seen it. Boston Red Sox, it, very clear uh, signs there. And uh, MLB has been very supportive of Black Lives Matter. Uh, where it's where I see nothing is north of the border. And, of course, that's a different country. Uh, the NHL has done, uh, I think, nothing in that area. And nothing pro or con. I mean, I'm not criticizing them. I'm just yeah. saying, and, and their ratings are uh, probably flat. You know, I don't know that they're down. I don't think they're really significantly up, but it's too early to tell because we haven't got into the really big games of the of the NHL, into the Stanley Cup, into the, into the semifinals and the finals of the conference. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then also what we've seen is a couple of pro teams changing their names, right, as part of this movement. So, for example, <laughs> sorry, the NFL, the, the Washington NFL franchise announced on Twitter that they would be changing the name for now to the Washington football team. Uh, any, right. any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it, it's, I think it's an offensive term for a long time. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's the same as the Cleveland Indians. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's a term. And again, it's, it's something we have to ask the people that are offended by it. And if, if you're offended by something, we should change it. I mean, that seems to be the, the way and, and, and it's probably long overdue. I mean, yeah. the term red skin is, it's not a good, it's not a good term. That's not a good term. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad that they're changing it. And there's a lot of things they, they, they I, I Googled that before we got on the air and some of the things they could call it the pig skins, you know, after the ball. They yeah. could call mm -hmm. the, 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 the red wolves. They could call them the red tails. Uh, there was a whole bunch of terms. The senators. Uh, yeah which is a previous baseball team that was in Washington, you know, congressmen, senators. And yeah. that that's one that's been banned for a long time. And it's long overdue to be changed. Yeah, that's very true. And and so I guess going back to COVID-19, right, we talked about this the last time, but again, the $1 billion question is really when are we going to have a vaccine? When, you know, when are people going to come back to the stadium? Even though now in Europe, you know, we've got, some leagues like Liga are, are bringing 5,000 fans per game. When do you think we'll have a vaccine for COVID-19? I'm thinking, you know, probably not until mid to 2021, right? And, and the other issue is, are we going to have enough vaccines to really provide that to billions of people, right? Because that's the other issue. Um, now, of course, in Russia, the president, Putin, you know, announced that they already found a vaccine. He tested on his daughter. Uh, it's fine, but again, you know, uh, it's just one country, and are we going to have enough for everybody? Right? Did, did he really test them? Safe, right? I don't, I don't know that the Putin vaccine is something that I'd like to do on a trial basis. I, I'd like to see a little more evidence of that. I, I did not know that he tried it on his own daughter, which is scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I. I um, did she have the virus? Uh, I don't recall, but uh, what the irony is, you know, I don't even know if he took the vaccine or if he just gave it to his daughter, but he just didn't take it himself, um, <laughs> right? Which tells yeah. you something about how safe that thing is, right? 
So, yeah, absolutely. If we can get it by January 2021, I, I'd be thrilled. I would sign yeah. off on that right now today if we could get it. I hope. I mean, it'd be great if we could get it in November, December. But uh, yeah, we 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 need the vaccine. And, and I already fatigue. We have what do we call it? We call it a uh, coronavirus fatigue. I mean, people are caught up in their houses. They're afraid to go out. Um, I think the greatest fear right now as colleges reopen is that college kids go to on campus, they have these parties, they share drinks, you know, drinking beer pong out, out of each other's cups. And they, and then they're told it's time to go home. They go home and then God forbid they give it to their grandparents. So it's funny you said that because uh, I was talking to a member of the Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox two nights ago. And mm -hmm. basically uh, he's back in Australia Right. And right mm -hmm. now, Australia is back on the lockdown for six weeks in Melbourne. And okay. uh, because there's a second wave that hit them. So you see where we could have the same phenomenon in the U.S. And that that could be accelerated, especially, at you know, with colleges. And like you said, students just going to party and, and everything. Right. Well, I mean, I've been to Australia, I've been to all seven continents, and I can tell you Australia is a wonderful place. It's a place we could all move today and live happily ever after. I really believe that. Melbourne is yeah. great, Sydney, uh, Keynes. You know, further north you go to warmer it gets toward the equator. And the fact is, you know, they figured out the gun violence situation, but they yeah. only have 25 million people in the whole country. Right. So, you know, for our listeners, to put that in perspective, There's yeah. 33 yeah. million people in California. There's, there's 29 and a half million people in all of Canada. And yeah. 90% of the Canadians live within a hundred miles of the border. I mean, did you want to live in North Canada? I mean, it's really cold up there, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you have to put it in perspective. We have over 325 million people. Very true. Mm -hmm. We don't show a whole lot of discipline when it comes to this virus. Uh, And that's not a political statement. I mean, it's anybody that calls it Trump's virus, that, that's really not. He called, it the, he, he called it the, was it the Chinese flu or something? Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not his virus. It, we can argue that his lack of leadership was, was a problem. And yeah. again, I don't want to, I don't want to get political. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. It, 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 it's not a, it's not a political issue. It's a scientific issue. And, And a lot of people are not doing the right things. And, and it's unfortunate. And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on politically. Like, we're all human beings. Well, I'm more like, you know, Democrat, right? So that's kind of, you know, I can relate to that, to the sure. Democrat Party. And so, yeah. Sure. So, but anyway, it's, uh, you know, it's a different, people have different views and different opinions. But I, I don't think mm -hmm. that those, you know, we can continue. And the way it's been going on for four years now with, a global pandemic, uh, you know, almost a recession and uh, so, so, social injustice in the, in the U.S. And, and where the U.S. is basically kind of a laughing, laughing stock, right? And we, we you know, we, uh, we broke bridges, you know, that we had with multiple countries. I mean, I could just go on and on and on, right? This is, I've never seen anything like it, to be honest. Uh, yeah. So. yeah. No, it, I don't remember it ever being this bad between um The Democrats and the Republicans. I've never, never seen it this bad in my life. And I was born in 62. So I've, I've seen, I mean, I've been able to vote since 1980. Yeah. And I've never seen it this bad. It's sad, yeah. but I think that's why you need a change, right? You need something, uh, it's time to, to move on to something else. And, and we need a leadership and, 
and so on. But I'm sure if you think it's the country. You know, if the Republicans are in for eight years, normally the pendulum swings back to the Democrats. If the Democrats are in the office for eight years, like Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, then the pendulum will swing back to a Republican. That's usually ebb and flow of politics. And and that's not just a United States thing. From what I hear, that's in a lot of countries. But back to Australia, you know, they did what we did to the indigenous people, right? You put them all in the middle of the country. And then as a yeah. result, the money, the money's all around the, the water, right? So you've got most of the people living on the, the right side or the eastern side of, of this, the country. And that's where your Melbournes and that's where your Sydneys are and that's where your Canes are. And as a result, you have the cluster of people there. So I could see how it could spread quickly yeah. in the, I mean, really all you got to the west is like where on our map, it would be where San Diego is. That's where Perth is. So, yes, there's only 25 million people in the country, but they're all primarily around the eastern coast. Yeah, 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 it's very true. Uh, look, I, I know you're, you're a busy man and uh, I respect your time. So we are at the end of the these podcast interviews. It's always great to talk to you as, as always. And uh, Great to talk you know, to you too, Julian. Thank you. And then make sure, you know, stay safe, right? Yeah, you too. Everybody out there in uh, podcast land, Please wear your mask, stay six feet away from each other, and we'll hopefully get this vaccine and we'll all be a lot happier in the new year. Definitely. But thank you again. God bless. Thank you, Julian. Thank you. Bye.